Okay, Sybil. Play life sentence. Sure, finding you life sentence. Behind the story. For best results, please put your headphones on now. Seriously. Hello. You're listening to Life Sentence Behind the Story. If you haven't listened to the series yet, go and listen now wherever you get your podcast from and come back and join us here. I'm Kelsey. I'll be taking you through this special episode where the production team at Mag's Creative share with you how they made this series and why. And we'll be speaking to the writer Tabitha Mortaboy and the incredible ensemble cast. I guess there's no time like the present, so let's do this. Let's dig in. So Life Sentence has been in production for more than a year. The vision and ambition for this series has been huge and it's been a monumental team effort from everyone to truly bring you a unique audio feast for the ears. And it was birthed by our executive producer, Megan Hill-Smith. She's quite the visionary. And for those who've heard the series, or maybe not, it's a pretty big concept. It's taken us ages to be able to succinctly summarise it because the concept was just so rolling and large and existential, almost, that summarising it in one sentence was just this mammoth task. That's Megan. She's right. It really was a hard one to define. And Life Sentence originated as a pitch for another broadcaster. But as we've seen from the likes of Michaela Cole and Phoebe Waller-Bridge, sometimes those initial rejections work out for the best. Yeah, I think Kelsey Kipp, Hannah, Faith, Amber, all of us, uh, the whole MAGS team are very grateful that it wasn't picked up because we've been able to really, really make it our own. And there's been a real force behind it. We've had to fight for it a lot. This pitch happened two years ago and then it kind of sat on the back burner. But Hannah and Faith, our co-founders, loved it that much that they kept bringing it back. Like, how can we do this? How can we do this? And when we finally got in the position to try and and to push it forwards, it was, you know, it's been a passion project from day dot. So why this topic? The way we hear about climate change and the impact on our world can often be daunting. The Holocene has ended. The Garden of Eden is no more. I don't want you to be hopeful. I want you to panic. I want you to feel the fear I feel every day. I want you to act as if the house was on fire. Because it is. Okay, sure. It's no secret that our world is in a bit of a state. So what would Life Sentence offer to this conversation? The power of storytelling and the human need to connect and how in the world that we're in at the moment, we are so incredibly disconnected, both from the origins of the things that we eat or the stuff that we use, but also from the stories that we hear every day. Climate change is very easy to other and and by bringing it closer and and trying to humanize uh, in in a selfish way, it makes us more able to connect and put ourselves in those shoes I think this also very much needs to be done with the voices and experiences of those on the front line of climate change, the Indigenous voices. But also, I think what we've done here is hopefully get people to empathise with the, the the other big players of our planet. You know, we live in an animate world full of beautiful creatures of all walks and sizes. And yes, we people are everywhere, but so is everything else. And I think reconnecting us is really important. And that's what we hope we've done here is is use the power of storytelling which has for 
ever been something that's connected people to reconnect us with the story of our world. Now television can take them to the bottom of the sea and they can take them high in the sky and they can take them into the Arctic and the coldest regions and on the top of the Himalayas, everywhere, and you can see the most remote things. Well, we all know who that was. He paved the way, bringing us closer to these worlds with his TV shows, but now it's time for audio as well. Karis Taylor, BAFTA's director of Albert, the screen industry's organisation for environmental sustainability, spoke recently about this new way to engage. We understand more about climate change and the solutions than we ever have done before. What we need now are stories. We need storytellers to reach audiences, all kinds of audiences. And we need stories that inspire and engage and move and inform our audiences, meeting them where they are and bringing them on this journey together for us all to deliver a sustainable future. Another key player in the series was Sybil, a very robotic, mechanical voice, pressing to us at every chance she got that time was ticking. If current trends continue, research tells us that the world's rainforests will have disappeared completely in 78 years, 44 days, 7 hours, 26 minutes and 43 seconds, 42 seconds, 41 seconds, 40 seconds, 39 seconds. And you may have noticed that as the series moved on, the episodes started getting shorter and shorter. So the original idea was one year equals one minute. And I think for me, a natural progression of that was for that length to be dictated by these characters' life expectancy or their life sentence. There's a real urgency for us to act in a real sense of time running out. And so making the episodes get shorter and shorter and building into this urgency, again, just felt like a very natural, very necessary progression. I think we all need to pick up sticks and act a very, very important character the whole way through was always going to be who is now Mo and played by Jordan. We used to call the narrator, is instrumental to the flow of the show. They are this character that you meet. At the beginning and end of every episode, they impress the importance of time and they're this guide through all these worlds. I think at the time I was definitely listening to a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. There's a definite wryness there and an omnipotence that certainly informed my early ideas of who this narrator would be. The one influence that has been concurrent the whole way through is definitely Have You Heard George's Podcast. So when we got the review in The Guardian, drawing a link between that, I got very excited. You guys have a story about how the world took seven days to make. And I'm just going to say straight off the bat that I find that rude and reductive because it took a lot (laughs) yeah it took a lot longer than that Jordan Stevens who plays our narrator Mo had the biggest job to do and some intricate and spoken word heavy scripts to contend with playing a godlike omnipresent type figure could also prove challenging I decided to play Mo kind of close to myself because I consider myself at least to be a hippie, a new hippie. I also did think that the age of the character kind of transcends time. And I thought there was a kind of tongue-in-cheek approach to just delivering that character as I would normally talk because to personify something that's essentially beyond recognition is just funny in itself. And Jordan had his own reasons for joining the Life Sentence cast. As I grow older, I have a growing desire to be around nature and I find it quite 
uncomfortable how little we feel connected to the world around us as a society. And so anything that can encourage human beings to remember their connection to the earth, I think is a, a positive move. But to take it from concept to reality, the team needed to be built. The idea that I created ages ago, I think it was quite large, but slightly unrefined. And with that, and with collaboration, which is just so important, obviously stuff takes on new shapes. But I don't think that's a bad thing at all. I think it's evolved into something more interesting and certainly more real and more beautiful as a result. It was a relief when Kelsey came on. I was like, yes, someone to actually make it happen. I often call her the engine in the machine. She she gets us going, she gets it drives it forwards. And it's, it's nice to finally have some actual momentum. I think the writing part was more challenging, but also, again, very exciting. I think pulling someone from outside of Mags in was, uh, it felt very different because this is more when the idea became less theoretical and was all so exciting and so tremendous to be working with someone as brilliant and as genius as Tabitha. She got the idea straight away. She cared about the project and added to it as well with her own ideas and energy. Well, I'm Tabitha. I'm a writer, scriptwriter. I'm kind of historically for stage um, and more recently for audio. And I am the writer on Life Sentence. The project was the perfect synthesis of the two things I care most about, which is storytelling and environmental activism. And I think it was it was an incredibly novel idea, beautifully kind of conceived. And I could tell from the way that the pitch was written that it was going to be bursting at the seams of creativity and I, I wanted to be involved in something that kind of took that approach to the climate crisis because we've tried to wake people up in various ways and the concept is gargantuan but but then we spoke quite early on about what our access point would be and, and for me that's always what what are the audience going to take away so what's the listener experience going to be we want people to fall in love with these animals and we want people to feel like they know them so that's that was where we started Right at the heart of this series are the voices of quite an exceptional ensemble cast. And Life Sentence deals with global issues. And guided by our narrator, Mo, from episode to episode, we find ourselves in various parts of the world. In episode one, Mo drops us into the heart of the rainforest to meet Mother Amma herself, played by Jada Nuka. In the beginning, it was perfect. I had friends and foes and lovers roaming safely through these trees. In the beginning, the forest was alive and awake. It was brimming full of animals of every size and shape. When we were naming the characters, I felt that I wanted to give them names that felt human in some way, so that they took on that kind of familiar stance. So we drew on kind of Greek etymology or kind of just playing around with, you know, the Amazon becomes Amma. And we didn't want to call them the tiger or like the polar bear because the point is that those words are just things that we've come up with in our kind of arrogant human lexicon. And that, that doesn't actually capture the soul and the spirit. My forest is burning. <gasps> 
Jade delivers an impassioned performance as she fights for her last breath in her slowly burning world. We've kind of tuned out some of the, the, the real wisdom about them, some of the kind of understanding of them that comes from the people who, the first custodians of those places. This is a storytelling project and we wanted to fold in stories from other places, other cultures, other histories, other languages, other countries, other tribes. There's a, a particular line in episode one where somebody speaks in their uh, native language and we don't offer a translation, we don't give it again in English. And that's such a special but very unusual experience. You know, we always expect that things are going to be made available for us. You can almost feel what he's saying, even without understanding him. Emotional impact was pretty vital for this series, which made the music and sound design all the more important. And the man behind the sound design was Kit Milsom, our head of audio, who has really outdone himself in creating this exceptional immersive experience. Throughout this series, the speech patterns threaten to fall into spoken word frequently. And there is a real rhythm behind the cadence of speech. And so I actually approached editing of this show in a more musical way, reinforcing the beat and the flow of how the characters speak. My approach to the music around Umma is sort of a mixing of head and heart. In the episode, the listener is about to be introduced to this unknown entity. And I wanted to accentuate the weight of that by utilising a heartbeat sound effect to signify the human element of the meeting. But to represent Amma, I wanted this airy, almost ethereal element to juxtapose the thudding percussive heart. And I used the sound of a hang drum that has this metallic ringing that you can hear. And it's always sounded like a bit of an ancient tribal instrument to me, which fit with Umma's character and her placement and so I landed on using that and combined with some more traditional percussion to take over from the heart as this becomes her story. It's almost a call and response interweaved with the dialogue until the ominous undertones along with the heart begin to creep back in and sweep away the airy nature that we've previously heard. From the outset my aim was to immerse the listener as much as I could into the different worlds that Mo was taking them, as though they were really being dragged along to these countries and spaces to meet the characters. So, for example, when you're in the rainforest, I wanted there to be a million and one different sounds from all the creatures and the trees around you to plant you firmly in that scene. And that's something that I've tried to achieve throughout the series the storyline of these Technicolor territories, it lent itself so well to using binaural elements. And that basically means that it reproduces a surround sound effect when using headphones. Despite that technique being around for decades, it seems to be rarely used due to the fact that it relies on headphones to reproduce the effect. But as we know, with podcasts, people mainly tend to listen on headphones. So it felt like the perfect fit to finally explore using this technique. So 
So both the rainforest and episode two, which was the ocean, were really immersive audio experiences. But how do you bring something like the ocean to life? We don't conceive of them as having characters or having kind of personalities or souls or spirits. So it was kind of about about trying to tap into the essence of the kind of the deep quality of that place or space. And so the water became Nep for sort of the goddess Neptune. And it was about kind of giving them a, a voice. You know how it works, Mo. You designed this whole system. Checks and balances, right? Symbiosis, reciprocity. I look after you, you look after me. And that was working for so long. That was the stand-up comic and actress Sindhu V, who delivered the role of Nep to us as her mother, a knowing and wise Indian woman. Playing alongside Sindhu was Maya Watkins, a rising star and spoken word artist who embodied the energy and spirit of a desperately dying coral reef. I look flash. The other kids on the reef have gone ghostly, ghostly pale, aren't We have company, Coral. Oh, sorry. Hi. One thing I loved about this project was the writing. The rhythm, the flow, the poetic structure was fantastic. It really inspired me to have fun and just get these messages across in a cool, open and just informative way. And it's really interesting just to see it from the point of view of the animals, the sea creatures and nature. For episode two, where we meet Nep and Coral, I wanted for the listener to be dragged underwater and to get that sensation of rushing water and bubbling in the ears and almost that kind of claustrophobic feeling you get from being submerged underwater with the waves crashing over you. Water, water, everywhere. And nada, not a drop to drink. Throughout the series, Tabitha included poetry from the likes of William Blake and Rudyard Kipling, served to us by Sybil. Once upon a time, oh my best beloved, there was a whale human and he ate fishes. He ate the starfish and the garfish and the crab and the dab and the place and the dace. I think it was lovely to kind of hark back to, to the many people who've been kind of arrested by the beauty of nature. We're increasingly divorced from the natural world and we're kind of consumed by all of these technologies and all of these kind of robotics and all of these various barriers between ourselves and the world that we should be paying attention to. So we wanted to have such kind of draw people's attention to that by using that very haunting, hollow, mechanical voice. All the fishes he could find in all the sea he ate with his mouth. He swallowed them all down into his warm, dark, inside cupboards, and then he smacked his lips. So behind this lovely historic poem are sounds of effectively gluttony and greed being portrayed through quite an ASMR-esque soundscape. To kind of hammer home the point about overfishing and overeating, I am acutely aware that people don't like the sound of people eating and actively dislike it. So I did dial it down a little from where I'd got to when I first started approaching the piece, but only to a point where I still felt it would hopefully make people feel that little bit uncomfortable. Until at last there was only one small fish left in all the sea. Left in all the sea. His warm, dark, inside cupboards smacked his lips. His lips. And that's something that I have lent into a bit with this series, is trying to instill that level of richness 
that's incredibly wonderful to listen and juxtaposed with a level of discomfort and nastiness because I think those elements are a vital part of our climate crisis and it's that disgust that perhaps we all need to face within ourselves. And the journey moves on to the Earth's original Arctic explorers. This episode proved really tricky. We struggled with who the polar bear was going to be and what they'd sound like. The polar bear episode was took took a lot of kind of wrangling into shape. And and as always with these things, I think it's it's so much the better for it. And you can't really see that in the chaos of its conception. There was a lot of kind of discussion about whether we wanted it to be monologue or dialogue, whether we wanted to hear from one polar bear or several. And I think in the end, we thought, actually, you need to hear what it was like. You need to hear from Jip in 1909 and you need to hear the Arctic in its heyday in order to understand that it should be a place of abundance and, and of, of plenty you know, and it's just that we've really wrecked its its balance. I'm fat, fed and watered, Mo. What more could I possibly ask for? And I've just had an absolutely cracking dinner. Oh, yeah? Mm. Oh, yeah. I mean, I can't say you because uh, <laughs> it's not strictly kosher. But the point is, Mo, it's been a bloody good day in paradise. Glad to hear it. Charlotte Ritchie and Kel Spellman play a generational family of polar bears in a rapidly diminishing world. I actually felt like I would love to sit and have a pint with Jip in a pub in the Arctic. There was a lot of truth in what he's saying. Those wise souls that have been on the earth, and one of the first inhabitants of the earth, with all their wisdom, are the people we should be listening to. There is still reason to be hopeful. Nature has always shown us it can bounce back if we give it the time and space and the resources to do so. And I think it's stories like these that are going to help along the way in communicating this problem, communicating the climate crisis, and hopefully bringing about that change. We're too close to people, Mo. This place is supposed to be ours, but they are taking it piece by piece. We had another discussion about, okay, we'll we'll have Layla, we'll have a polar bear in in 2021. Should she be a a kind of lone voice? The the kind of decision that we arrived at was that there's something so universally moving about the kind of mother-child bond. Will you tell us more about what the ice is like? You're going to see it for yourself. I promise. Tell us. Tell us. We've had this story already today. Again. Again. Okay. Huddle in. And we wanted to hear that. I don't think any of our other animals have a kind of family in that way. And again, I think humans often make the mistake of thinking that we're the only animal that has a concept of family. So it kind of wanted to give the polar bears that to kind of remind the people listening that family belongs to every animal. Sammy, Jip, you remember how to swim? I can't swim far, Mum. I can't, I... I know, baby, we have to try. Where's the ice? It's... uh, I thought... It's changing. Mum? Come here, baby. Layla and her two children being displaced from their natural habitat carries a weighty message of climate change refugees and the parallels to the heartbreaking human stories we hear every day. 
We meet another species facing the same plight as in the next episode. The elephants come thundering at us. in Zimbabwe for a dual story of the dwindling elephant population being hunted and poached and the Akashinga Rangers, a quasi-military all-female anti-poaching unit, who are trying to protect them. And we've got those two kind of jostling younger elephants who have quite a fun energy between them. So it just felt that everything had got to be quick. And the Akashinga are so efficient and proficient and precise in there in the way that they work so i wanted to kind of bring some of that rhythm and energy into the to the piece as well which kit has done so phenomenally i was looking at what's the collective noun for a group of elephants and it is a memory of elephants and i thought that's so moving because that's all we'll be left with if we keep going the way we're going is a memory of elephants i keep my wits about me what are wits against bullets They won't catch me. Why? Because you're faster than an AK-47. Yeah. I'm quick. Etta, come. Don't. It's not hard to fall in love with a very spirited Etta, played by Fanta Barry, one of our elephants who masks her grief and fear in a playful manner. With Etta, obviously, and the family thing, being of dual heritage as well, it's easy to feel like an outsider, so especially with... Etta and Glovu being hunted, not to say that I've been hunted, but to be exoticised or to be deemed as different or for someone to see you in a different light, I've definitely experienced that. Learning about climate change or things becoming extinct is sometimes quite hard to process. So having it in this format makes it seem so much more digestible and easier for audience members to be able to like understand. I have eyes on two young elephants. Tempo's tribe has been splintered. Over. Roger that. We have two sets of unknown tire tracks to the left of Malipati. It was important for us that the voices of Tariro and Nella were played by a native Zimbabwean actress. My name is Chipo Chung and I have been playing Nella and Tariro, who are Akashinga rangers in this story. I'm from Zimbabwe, so I have a big affinity with the story and the Akashingo ranges are very inspiring. They're all women who might otherwise not have a a livelihood. And and there's a huge range, obviously, uh, coming from Zimbabwe, uh, of women who I've met. So it's not difficult to put a a face, age, texture to Nella and Tariro in that way. One of the clips that we use for episode four recurs throughout the episode and is taken from the Akashinga women during a training drill. We preface the use of it and the introduction of the Akashinga element when the word is used during Etta's first speech about the loss of her brother. And she mentions the word Akashinga there and you hear a cry in the background. And he'd say that Orion was part Akashinga, that as long as the stars are alight, luck would linger. But prior to finding the clip, we had already decided on the music that we would be seeing the piece out. And actually, after finding this clip, we tried layering it over the music and found that it sat incredibly nicely over that and acted as this real rhythmical crescendo to the piece. 
before we hear the very poignant voices of the real Akashinga Rangers. People are always asking, what am I supposed to do to be like you? I am a ranger with Akashinga, the brave ones. We are an arm of women who protect Africa's wildlife. This is dangerous for me, but I have no fear. King of the mountain, hear him roar. We descend into the Indian heat where we meet the revered Malu, whose hunger runs deep. The tiger kind of had a voice of his own. Even before I began writing him, he kind of roared into the into the script with a very kind of assertive, wonderful character. Hi, my name is Jasper Alawalia and I play Malu in Life Sentence. I feel like this role really found me in a way. The producer, Kelsey, was familiar with my work and when I was invited to give voice to Malu, it just seemed like such a perfect fit. As a kid, I spent uh, several summer holidays in India reenacting the adventures of Mowgli in the monsoon rain, so I think I really just transported myself back to that childlike state of play, imagining myself in the jungle. I loved how Malu was written as a bit of a performer. You know, his, his stripes attracting attention wherever he goes. You know, as a little white-looking kid far off the tourist trails in India, I often found heads turning to watch me and, and dancing at family weddings in Punjab was really my first experience of performance. Friends, Romans, countrymen, gal sono meri. <laughs> the chance to contribute to the script with Punjabi made the whole journey to bringing Malu to life feel quite natural and easy in a way. It was such a joy. I am your amber-bellied king. I am the hot light of yang to your dark, earthy yin. I am a solar beam of strength and fire. I'm a thing loved to death. A thing killed with desire. I also think the Indian accent is so beautiful and lyrical and can carry such weight. You know, growing up in the UK, the accent is so often used as a source of comedy, but for me it's also a source of great authority, you know, like the narrators of Bollywood epics. There is a kind of hunger that I hope you never know. The kind that claws at your belly. The kind that gnashes at your ribcage like a hot, livid rage. Music was incredibly important to us when producing Life Sentence. We tried to carefully select pieces that would complement the tone and emotion and the characters. Each of the episodes has its own identity and we wanted to build upon that. To us, the natural way to do that was by often including some more traditional musical elements that you might hear from the spaces that you're being taken to by Mo, through pieces of music or occasionally just an instrument used as an embellishment to an existing track, such as at the end of Malu's episode, the Indian strings were added to give the piano piece a more haunting, mournful quality. Tiger, tiger, burning bright. In the forests of the night... What immortal hand or eye could frame thy fearful symmetry? I absolutely loved working on this project. It's so different from anything I've done before or listened to. 
to be part of something so pioneering alongside such a stellar cast it's a real honor and i can't wait to see how listeners experience it and what conversations it sparks because it really is an immersive experience and what shoulder and what art could twist the sinews of thy heart what the hammer what the chain in what furnace was that burning? Then we threw you a curveball. Our seemingly first human story, Eve, gives a voice to dairy cows. Yeah, episode six, it, it was and is a, a real change of pace. And I think that that's really appropriate because the other animals, to, to varying degrees, still live in their natural environments. And that we were listening, we were visiting them in their kind of natural homes. And with dairy cows, we've really stolen their autonomy to such a degree that we've kind of kidnapped them into our world. So it it felt like we had to treat that episode differently. It had to be industrial and cold and hollow. And, it, and then we wanted to kind of set that against the deep spirit of Eve and that kind of juxtaposition is there to draw our attention to what to the way we're treating them, these animals. I don't pretend to know much about the workings of the world. But I like to imagine that souls are made of fine fabric. I like to imagine that when you find a friend like I did, it's because you are cut from the same cloth. The Harry Potter star and animal rights activist Ivana Lynch gave a stunning performance to a subject extremely close to her heart. I really liked, particularly about my story, about Eve's story, I found her relationship with Adam so interesting. You know, it, that is a human who she has trusted and who has betrayed her and who is exploiting her. But she sees his humanity. And I, I think sometimes in the animal rights and vegan movement, we can get too caught up in the idea that so, so the activists are the heroes, we're the warriors, and we're fighting against the enemy, the farm system, all that. But when you really get down to it, Farmers are just people who are trying to feed their families and, and they are doing what they think is good in the world, you know? In spite of it all, I think that on the day I was born, I was right to trust Adam. In spite of what he did to me, I don't think I got that wrong. I think there really was a small spark of love. A nimble, simple, uncorrupted thing. Like the first twist of smoke on a burning fire. I think that we were built to love one another. I think the life of a dairy cow, any person with a menstrual cycle, can't look at the life of a dairy cow and not be horrified by the distortion and manipulation of the female reproductive system. I wasn't taught that cows had to be impregnated to produce milk and that, you know, their babies that they produce are like a byproduct of milk and as a byproduct they have to be dealt with. So if they are born male, they are just killed. They are just turned into veal straight away. And you know, there's just so much wrong with that. Separating a, a mother from her child, killing that child just because it's a byproduct, and abusing her body to produce milk. Honestly, 
It's another bloody petition. Will they not give it a rest? I sign one flipping thing. Well, plenty more fish in the sea, innit? Hey, and all that. That's what I said. Plenty more fish. This is Adam and Stevie. Does that sound familiar? Dudley Zoo, home to the most famous tiger in the West Midlands. Most famous t- How many tigers are there in the West Midlands? They make multiple short appearances throughout the series, but our final episode hands it over to them. Can you... Can you hear me? Can we talk for a minute? Right. POA, I'll stick a wash on and get this lot in the fridge. You whack the heating up and run a bath for yourself. Mm, you're too nice. Yes, I am too nice. Remember that. You might have got a bit frustrated by them throughout the series. I mean, they can't even hear Mo in the final episode. But is that disenfranchised, disconnected attitude actually just a mirror for our own behaviour? The human characters are there to kind of so that there's a bit of self-recognition from the listener, I think, and so that everybody can hear in Adam and Stevie things that they have said or thought or done. And they're there to kind of represent the average listener with all of their faults and flaws and shortcomings, but also all of their humanity. And I actually quite quite like them. They've got a lot of love between them and you can hear that, you know, although they are dismissive, I think we have all been dismissive things like this for so much time. So yes, they're there to represent the listener and to offer a mirror. Adam and Stevie are a really key part of this series and they're played by Stacey Abelogan and Will Meller, who have a really fun northern rapport throughout. I think the things with this is you've got to try different things and make sure it sounds natural and real, just so people can be transported into that scenario and that situation or wherever you are. That's what I like about radio plays and anything like this, because you've got to take the audience with you so they they, they come along the journey with you. So I, I love doing that and I love coming up with different things and trying new things and putting things in here and there and twisting it. And I think that's that's where you come up with something that's that's a bit different, but also quite immersive. Stevie feels quite close to home. It resonates with me in the idea that it's easy for people, I suppose, to be unaware of the damage that we can do to the environment and also not having knowledge or seeking the knowledge or majority of the time for it not being accessible for people to have in order to understand. have been incredible in not only giving their voices to the characters of the series but bringing a real dedication to fighting climate change issues. I'm really proud of Life Sentence. I think it's it's nothing like we've ever done before but I'm hoping also it's carved out its own unique space in a very important sphere of audio. I think what I enjoyed most about Life Sentence was the blending of these incredible, very important stories that need to be told infused with a level of writing that is second to none and the ability for me to bring in a level of creativity and the freedom that I've been given in terms of bringing these stories to life through different techniques that perhaps I wouldn't have employed through any of my other productions. I think working on Life Sentence has probably been something that I've been waiting my entire career to work on and I hope the relevance of this piece endures and it's something that I think I will be proud of for a long time to come. We want to thank everyone that contributed to the series in some way, and in particular to those carrying on the fight. 
I fight for climate change because I think it's the greatest unjust of our time. Those who contribute the least to climate change are suffering the most. When people say, you know, that we're destroying the earth, actually we're destroying ourselves. The earth will survive one way or another, but we won't. And if that's something we care about, we should be doing something about it. It's, it's the inaction that scares me most of all. It's urgent and we need to act now. Someone once wondered if a million people jumping together might trigger an earthquake. I think it's high time you tried. I think it's time for an earthquake of the right variety. The kind that kickstarts a seismic switch, a tectonic wrench, a paradigm shift. I want you to stand up, arms out, head high, and walk confidently in the direction of a beautiful future. Remember that you are part of the world. Remember that she loves you. And please, be brave and love her back. Life Sentence is a Mag's creative original. Written by Tabitha Mortaboy. Supervising producer is Kelsey Bennett. Executive producer is Megan Hill-Smith. Sound design and audio production by Kit Milsom. Please rate, review, subscribe, follow and share the show. Thank you for listening to Life Sentence. And here's another podcast you can dive into. Brain Care Podcast is dedicated to helping you care for your most important organ. Hosted by Dan Murray-Serter, co-founder of Brain Care Company Heights. You'll learn about how to optimise your brain health and mental well-being through a series of bite-sized interviews with the world's leading scientists and experts. Featuring interviews with brilliant brains like Stephen Fry, Jay Shetty, Dr. Rangan Chatterjee, Dame Kelly Holmes, Emma Gannon and many more. Search for Brain Care wherever you get your podcasts.